to this episode for season two of the Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm podcast. I am Yvonne Hartley, co-administrator and forensic liaison manager of the Jeremy Bamber Innocence Campaign. Today, I would like to reflect on our first ever protest, which was held on the 25th of November, 2021, outside Essex Police headquarters with supporter and global human rights activist, Peter Tatchell. The campaign had been assisting Peter with correspondence to BJ Harrington, the Chief Constable of Essex Police, during the year. This was to provide information regarding key documentation required, which the police have consistently refused to release to Jeremy or to his legal team. Peter was determined that should his latest letter dated the 4th of October have no result, which is what we actually expected, then a protest would be the way forward. Receiving a reply from BJ Harrington on the 8th of November was, as expected, a negative response which refused to disclose the documentation requested. It was therefore decided that the protest would take place on 25th of November. It was, however, logistically not possible for all of the campaign team to attend this event, but my colleague Philip Walker and I were proud to represent Jeremy and the team. Coming from the northwest of England and not being a driver, I split the journey into two sections. I began my travelling on the 24th of November by train and was getting regular telephone calls during the journey from bodies such as ITV Anglia and print media journalists who had been sent a press pack by Peter and myself the day before. Unfortunately, due to the tragedy at Calais that had taken place on the 23rd of November, in which refugees sadly died, none of the national media could attend. But we knew that the local media, the Metro and television journalists would be present. I was obviously disappointed at the news that not as many journalists would be present as expected, as I believed that the protest and Peter's involvement did warrant national press and television coverage. I did feel deflated for a while that the media didn't appear to share my opinion, as the newspapers and television wouldn't only report on the disaster, it did make me wonder if they had been deterred by Essex police for reporting about the protest. Arriving in the East Midlands to stay with my colleague Sarah for an evening, I topped up with much needed coffee and had a lovely evening with her, planning new ventures for the campaign for the coming months. We also had a telephone chat with Eric Allison. The first article about the protest was actually published in the Colchester Gazette online edition later that evening. And it made it seem even more real then, that after a long time of planning, the protests would finally be going ahead. After a good rest and sleep and catching up with emails, Facebook and Twitter, Sarah then drove us to Chelmsford the following morning. Panic set in at one stage though, for me anyway, as even though we set off for the two hour journey at 7.45 a.m., the arrival time on the sat nav was increasing consistently due to a number of road accidents that had occurred on our route. But, Good old Google Maps guided us off the motorway 
And even though this involved many more miles added to our journey, it was achievable in a much shorter time. Jeremy called us very excited about the protest and we told him about the expected media and filmmakers who were all attending as well. And we also informed him about the article that had been in the Colchester Gazette that was already in circulation. By the time we arrived at 9.30 a.m., my nerves were beginning to jumble a little bit as we pulled into a hotel car park to meet my colleague, Philip Walker. I had never been on a protest before, and so I suppose it was a little bit of fear of the unknown. And I guess I didn't know what to expect. But then again, neither did anybody else, except for Peter. It was lovely to see Philip again. I had seen him a few weeks prior to the protest at the CrimeCom event in London, where again we attended to represent Jeremy and the campaign. It was very exciting as Philip opened up the boot of his car to reveal the placards and banners we had newly made at the printers. Even though I'd seen them over a Zoom chat, they were even more impressive up close. I was also excited when Philip gave me new postcards that had been designed to distribute at all our future events, as well as business cards with our full contact details on. We arrived at the nearby retail park, Car Park, where we had arranged to meet one of the three documentary filmmakers we had been working with over the last year. I'd already met this filmmaker at my home a couple of months previously, and he introduced me to the sound man, who proceeded to attach a radio mic to me to catch all the audio from the day. The film camera was set up, and we then set off, walking to police HQ. The crew filmed us as we made our way out of the car park, where we also met with the second filmmaker, who was also armed with his huge camera. He walked along with Philip to HQ, while the first crew interviewed me en route on the walk to our destination. We arrived at HQ Springfield at around 10.30 a.m. and some supporters were already gathering, waiting for us. Within minutes, we were joined by Peter Tatchell. It was such an honor to meet him in person at last. I have met Peter previously on video calls at our monthly Zoom meetings on which Peter had given a presentation. But this time I felt privileged at last to meet him in person. Peter is such a hardworking man and has assisted us in our quest for disclosure for over four years now. His presence immediately dissipated all my nerves and I was ready for action and very relaxed. I even forgot I had the microphone attached to me. There were a number of police officers standing outside headquarters, one of whom was a liaison officer who Peter had spoken to the previous day to advise them that we would be there. I was actually standing next to Peter when the officer said to him that when he was ready, she would bring a senior officer out to receive brand new signed letter that Peter had with him in response to BJ Harrington's earlier reply. Standing at the entrance ramp to the station were even more police officers and other people who could have either been local onlookers seeing what was going on, or as time went on and they didn't leave, I got the impression that perhaps they could be from the CPS or plainclothes police officers. I soon got into the swing of things and braved the cold winter air, taking off my coat at Peter's request to show off my no disclosure, no justice, t-shirt but I didn't feel the cold at all 
The adrenaline and anticipation kept me warm. I was in my element, meeting and chatting to all of the lovely supporters who attended. Again, I've seen the supporters on the Zoom meetings, but I hadn't met them in person before. It was so fantastic to do so. And I was, as I say, in my element, chatting away to them. Many had come from London and others from distances as far away as I had travelled to support Jeremy. I was surprised that so many had shown, considering that they only had two or three days notice of the event. So it shows just how much people really do care about justice, specifically fighting against this prolonged non-disclosure of vital evidence in Jeremy's case. We were soon joined by the third film crew, and I actually felt quite embarrassed that there were so many filmmakers there, but we had made them all aware that other documentary makers would be present. So there were no surprises, and they were all very gracious about it. This particular crew were also carting large cameras and microphones, and shortly after this, journalists also started appearing with their microphones and cameras. We unfurled our banners and distributed more T-shirts with the slogan, no disclosure, no justice, and J4J, justice for Jeremy, for people to wear to show their support. This was a great idea because it was a sea of purple. It was very striking, very colourful and extremely impressive. Peter had also taken placards which were distributed. I had a further telephone call from our TV while we were all gathered outside the police station. In this call, the RTV reporter said to me that disappointingly, they had to go to report a different story in the local area. I wonder who called them to do this? Surely it couldn't have been Essex Police. We stood waving the placards, chatting and smiling to the cameras as we did so. The crowd left a, hello Jeremy, on the prison voice mail app, so that Jeremy could feel a part of the event himself. Then Peter started the chants. Oh, this was just fabulous. And I was chanting away as loudly as I dared. What do we want? Disclosure. When do we want it? Now. Peter had asked Philip and I to make a speech on behalf of the campaign. And we felt proud to be able to do this. Philip went first and made excellent points about the continued non-disclosure and requested that Essex Police now comply with the court orders and stop putting themselves above the law. Then it was my turn. With Peter Tatchell at my shoulder, I was inspired to give the best speech I possibly could for the campaign and for Jeremy. I addressed everyone, calling on the people of Essex to hold their force accountable for a series of inept investigations and disclosure issues which litter the miscarriage of justice world. Peter then made an extremely powerful speech demanding that Essex Police and BJ Harrington release the evidence. Peter also questioned the legality of the National Archives, which is still holding hundreds of case files relevant to Jeremy, which are to remain closed files until 2054. That is a total of a 70-year embargo. Why? What is in those files? We continued the protest for approximately 15 more minutes when Peter then said it was time for Essex Police to bring out their senior officer to accept the new letter. I was astounded when the officer who had arranged this 
then refused. The same liaison officer also refused to take the letter from Peter, but said she would escort him to reception where he could hand it to the civilian receptionist. Peter was in disbelief at this and made an impromptu speech setting out how Essex police now looked arrogant, intransigent and unhelpful, a PR disaster. This was all caught on camera and is available to see along with all three speeches on our YouTube channel. The refusal was also recorded and sent to Jeremy via the prison voicemail app. Of course, when he heard it, he wasn't surprised by the actions of Essex police in refusing to take the letter. It was characteristic in the way they still continued to obstruct justice as they have done for more than 36 years. Shortly afterwards, Jeremy telephoned and said as much as this to everybody, thanking all the supporters for taking part in this protest. Peter was then escorted to reception to hand in the letter. The protest continued for approximately another half an hour. And at this time, Peter and I were interviewed by the media and filmmakers before we then made our way to a local pub to join with other campaigners who had been able to attend the actual protest. We basically took over the back room of the pub and it was fabulous for everyone to get a hot drink and some food. I was suddenly very hungry after all the morning's excitement. Beats continued for the next two hours contacting the media and we discussed what we could further do to seek disclosure. And even more interviews were conducted by the filmmakers and the media present. Around 3.30, the crowd of campaigners started to make their way home and we dropped Peter at the train station before making our way to Danbury, where Philip and I were interviewed on camera for a filmmaker. Eventually, we said our goodbyes to Philip and the documentary crew, and Sarah and I made our way to accommodation for the evening. The next morning, I started my seven-hour journey back to my Lancashire home. Looking back, the whole experience was one I would gladly do again tomorrow. I knew we had made what would have been an impact and probably astounded Essex Police that many people supported Jeremy in such a positive and proactive way. I now have a sense that more proactive approaches like this must and will happen again if Essex Police continue their stance to ignore the court orders and pursue their obstruction in justice in not disclosing the evidence. Surely Essex Police aren't 36 years long enough to steal from an innocent man. You can join our monthly Facebook meetings, which have a first look at case material, presentations and guest speakers at our official Facebook, Jeremy Bamber Justice Group.